Good morning. Good to have you here this Easter. Let's have another round of applause for our, um, our worship band today. A great job. And uh, I've been trying to shake people's hands, but everybody asks, what happened to your hand and your finger? And I wish I had a good story that, that, that was cool, but I don't. I was simply trying to open uh, a, a, a can of pears with a can opener. So you can use your imagination on that, right? So anyhow. But uh, you know, the good people at Doctor's Care got me glued up in 30 minutes or less. Amazing. So anyhow, this is just protective. But it makes a great teaching tool. <laughs> great attention getter. So I might keep it on longer than normal. Well, a man took a vacation to Israel with his wife and his mother-in-law. Yeah, some of you are already worried where this story is headed. And during their time in the Holy Land... His mother-in-law unexpectedly, sadly, passed away. So they didn't really know what to do. So the following day, the husband met with the local funeral home undertaker. They discussed funeral plans. And the, the undertaker of the Holy Land said, in cases like these, you know, there, there, there's only a couple options. You know, we can uh, ship her body home to you, but it will cost $5,000. Uh, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land, which would be pretty cool, for just $150. What would you rather do? So the man took a minute to think about it and then thought about it. And then he came back and he said, well, you know, we're just going to pay the 5000 and and ship her home. And so the undertaker was a little intrigued by that decision and said, well, that's an interesting choice. Uh, can I ask you why you would pay 5000 to ship her home when you could just bury her here in the Holy Land for $150? And the man replied, around 2,000 years ago, there's a man that died and was buried here. And three days later, he rose from the dead, and I can't take that chance. <laughs> so. Don't know why that's so funny, but it gets a laugh everywhere <laughs> I tell it. Anyway, if you're here today, uh, you've taken a chance on Jesus, Amen. Most of you should have. If you're a believer today, you've taken a chance on Jesus Christ rising from the dead. We are in 1 Samuel today as we go through the Bible in a year. Not a typical Easter passage, but that's where we find ourselves, and it's a long one. So we're just going to read here the first four verses of 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for being able to come here on this day and worship you in spirit and in truth on this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday. Lord, I do pray that my words are yours today, that they reflect your heart, or that you fill me with your spirit. And that your spirit fills this room today to be receptive to your message. So we hear what you would want us, want us to hear today from your word about God's 
grace today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're talking about God's grace as we see it in this passage today. And there's several things I want to show us from the passage today about God's grace. Number one, that we see God's grace in His judgment. We see God's grace in His judgment. Interesting thought, right? Look at verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, what's interesting here is that in the time of the judges, God would call a man, one time a woman, to judge the nation. And he had called Samuel. He called Samuel to judge, to to administer justice to the nation. There was no king. God was their king, but they had judges. And he was a successful judge, and he was called by God to do it. But God had not called Samuel's sons. There's no indication that was the case. Yet it says here that Samuel, when he became old, couldn't judge anymore. He gave his sons an area to judge, but God had not called them to do that. Apparently Samuel thought it would be okay. Maybe it's the family business. I don't know. So he, not God, made his sons judges over Israel, and that was the first mistake. Verse 2. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba, verse 3, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice, which is not what a judge should do. Not only were they, they clearly not called to judge Israel, they were immoral judges. They did not follow God, meaning they did not walk in His ways. They took bribes, meaning they did things for their own benefit. They perverted justice, which was the opposite of their job, to uphold justice. They were the corrupt lawyers. They were the corrupt judges. And instead of blessing the people, they blessed only themselves. And here's the thing about these corrupt lawyers, these corrupt judges, these boys, these sons. The people knew it. The people knew that they were corrupt and were doing wrong. Verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. That's if Samuel probably needed a reminder, right? But your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like everyone else. Give us a king. So the people knew that the sons were not worthy leaders, not worthy judges, and it was bad that they didn't like it. So they did what many believers, what many Christians are prone to do when they're not being led well by godly leaders. What do they do? They look to the culture. They look for an alternative of leadership. And the culture had kings. All the other nations had kings ruling them. And it seemed to work for them. So they said, give us a king. Maybe it'll be better. Now, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, before the Israelites had crossed over to the promised land, God told them that a time would come when this would happen. That a time would come when they would beg for a king. And he told them then how a king would take advantage of them and have complete control over their lives 
Yet, left without godly leadership, the people looked to the world for their cues. Look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel did what a leader should do. He prayed to the Lord. Lord, help me. They want a king. What do I do? Verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel something that he was not expecting to hear. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. See, when we reject God, when we reject doing things His way, and we ask Him to give us another alternative, a worldly alternative, sometimes God will do it. Sometimes He will let us have something we don't need. Now, we shouldn't ask for it. He gives it to us. In many ways, giving them what they wanted was His judgment. Think about this. Sometimes giving God, God giving you what you want if you can look back and you may think, man, I really wish I hadn't gotten that. I really wish God had not allowed that to happen in my life. I wanted it and it happened. Now, now the reason for the judgment is so that you'll see that what you desired was not good for you in the first place. Sometimes God will let you have it. I remember as a child, as a, as a kid, many times I had to learn from experience. I, I knew what was right and wrong, but I had to experience it. To really get the, the, really get the idea. Am I the only one? Or y'all, maybe y'all did the same, right? I had to kind of see for myself why it wasn't good, and this is what is happening. You know, I could let my children eat all the Easter candy they wanted, and they would. If I kept giving, especially my younger children, candy, they would eat it all. And if I wanted to prove a point, I would let them eat it all. And the point would be, here's what happens when you eat too much candy. And I would let them get sick to see the natural consequence of eating too much sweets, too much candy. And because God loves you, because of his grace, which is unearned favor in your life, because of his grace, sometimes God may allow you to get what you think you want. And he'll judge you in a way so you'll know that's not what you need. Okay, so we see God's grace even in his judgment sometimes. Secondly... We see God's grace in his truth. We see God's grace in his truth. Look at verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Look what he did. He didn't alter the message. He didn't say, well, I'm not going to tell him what God said. I'm going to change it. He tells them what the Lord told them. The man of God, whether it be a judge, a pastor, a teacher, when he hears God's word, when he has God's word, he has to tell the people God's word. Or guess what? It's not God's word. God's messengers don't tell his people necessarily what they want to hear. 
God's messengers don't change the message God has for them. They share the message. They tell the message. They share the truth of the Word of God. Because everything He has said is true, whether we like it or not. Everything He says is true, whether we want to hear it or not. And so Samuel goes and tells them what he doesn't want to tell them, but what God has told them. And there's grace in truth this way. And Samuel tells truthfully the people what God said in reply. He says in verse 11 this, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. This is what he's going to do. He'll take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground, to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. In summary, he says this, kings will take, he'll take your sons, and he'll put them in his army. He'll take your daughters, and he'll put them in his kitchen. He'll take your best farms for himself. He'll command a tithe and take that for a tax. He'll take your best servants and employees for himself. That servant that you've trained and poured all your resources into, he'll take them. And when you finally get sick of the abuse, when you finally get sick of the slavery, you'll cry to me, and his answer will be no answer. The people still wanted a king. Have you ever sent someone a, a text message asking them a question, and they just never responded? Maybe that's you. Maybe you've done that. Maybe I'm the only person that happens to. I don't know, right? You know they read it. You might have a question. Hey, I have a question, and what's this? And there's no answer, right? It's a helpless feeling. Because no answer is often a response. And that's what he's telling them. You're going to cry out to me. And this time there's no response. Because you have a king. You rejected me as king. You have your own king. And sometimes silence is the truth we need to hear. Sometimes silence from God's truth for you to hear. Think about the times we've prayed, even as a country, for revival and things like this, or as, a, as your own person prayed for things, and there's silence. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, why is God silent? Why is He not getting back to us, right? And He's giving them grace by telling the truth, what will happen for a king, and by being silent. Now, when you tell people what God has said, like Samuel did, it's risky. To tell the truth. 
If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you tell the truth about Jesus to a world that we live in, you risk being canceled. You risk being ostracized. You risk being banned off of social media platforms. But as believers in Jesus, we are people of the truth. And so, and so God's truth must be spoken. It must be heard. Now, there's a way to do it righteously. There's a way to do it sinfully. Truth must always be spoken with grace as God speaks truth with grace. And just as we speak God's grace when he speaks truth to us, we should be graceful when we speak God's truth to others, but we don't not speak the truth. Because God has given it to us. And the truth today we're talking about and celebrating today is that Jesus rose from the grave. And that matters tremendously. It means everything. Our faith hinges on the fact that the tomb was empty. If it wasn't, then we're all wasting our time getting dressed up, wearing clothes that don't match, bow ties that don't match my shirt. Because Easter you can do that. You don't have to match. Just put a bunch of pastel colors together. Wasting our time taking pictures if he didn't rise from the grave. So we see God's grace in his truth. Third, we also see God's grace even when we disobey. Now, God blesses us when we, we have obedience. When we obey, there's blessing. What happens when we disobey? Sure, there's consequences. Sure, there's judgment. But a lot of times, those, those judgments as we've talked about are shadowed in grace. They're covered in grace. And we see this with our disobedience. Verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Sam. We say, here's what's going to happen. King is not going to be good for you. <laughs> and he told them everything that's going to happen to them. And they refused to obey the voice. God said they would. One of the frustrating things for Christian pastors, leaders, or any believer, if you're a believer and you know someone who's a Christian, is when those claiming to be believers just outright reject obeying God's truth. It's frustrating. And they just dug their heels and said, no, we're not going to do that. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And why do they want a king? Well, they tell us right here in verse 20. Why? So that we may be like everyone else. We want the cool table at lunchtime. We want the best seats. We want the popular crowd. We want the promotion with all the cool people. We want to be like everyone else. It's working for them. Give us a king. We want to be like the world. We don't want to be set apart. We don't want to be different. We want to be like everybody else. Verse 20. So that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, and that he can go out before us and fight our battles. Now, they already had a God who was fighting their battles, miraculously defeating nations. But they wanted a king because everyone else had one. And they also wanted a king so that he would judge them. Although God already did this, but they also wanted a king to go out and fight their battles. In fact, so here's what they wanted. They wanted a passive life. Where they would, just, they would just trade their children, trade their servants for security and protection. Take our kids, take my servants, just protect me. Does that sound familiar? We'll give you everything. I just want comfort. 
I just want security. I just want protection. Take our kids. Take our property. Give us peace. Give us protection. That's essentially what presidential elections are about. We vote for the person who will make our life easier, whatever that looks like. The Christian life is not about making your life easier. The Christian life is about glorifying God and all that we say and do and putting ourselves under His protection. Now, making your life easier may be the American dream, and there's nothing inherently bad about that, but it's not the Christian calling. The Israelites wanted to be God's people living in Satan's world. That's what they wanted to be. Give us a little bit of both. We want you, God, and you saved us. We also want to be like these people over here who are having all the fun. God's like, they're not having fun. You've conquered all those people. (laughs) You've eradicated those people. I was with you. Yeah, but we want to be like them anyway. That God still gave them grace even when they rejected his leadership. He could have said, I'm done with you. I'm going to be the God of the Amorites now. I'm going to be the God of the Edomites now. I'm going to be the God of the Jebusites now. No, he kept his covenant with them because they were his people. You know, when your children disobey you, you might want to disown them when they're young, but you don't disown them. That's why God makes them cute. Every time my four-year-old does something bad, I just say, gosh, he's so cute. Or else I'd be really angry, right? He's not going to disown his people. But even in the disobedience, he gives them grace. Verse 21, when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. I don't know what the Lord felt when he heard that. He knew they were going to do it, but he did it anyway. And the Lord said, obey their voice and make them a king. Even though they were told what would happen, God allowed them to have it anyway. And even in our stubborn disobedience, God still gives us grace. So that one day we'll realize we've got to come back to him. He lets us go off and go wayward. So we'll realize how good a king he is. How good a God he is. Look at Romans 1. Romans 1 tells us an interesting thing about humanity. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, the Bible's talking about all of us here. This isn't just a group of people somewhere. There's everybody, right? Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. There is evidence for God's creation, for God's existence, all over the face of the world. Just look around. That's what Romans 1 tells us. Where's the evidence of God? Look. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and claiming to be wise. Oh, we progressed past all this. I'm wise now. I'm learned. 
They became fools, he said, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animal and creeping things. Verse 24, so what did God do? He gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator in America, the creature that we're worshiping and serving that's not the creator is ourselves. That's who we worship. Have you looked at social media lately? What are you taking pictures of? Right? What are you taking pictures of? Who are you worshiping? Listen, here's the thing. God is not a dictator. He will give you the life you want, even if it's the life you don't need. And he'll give it to you so you'll realize how broken you will be without him. And just like that prodigal son who went off and squandered the inheritance, slept with the pigs when he had everything he needed, what did he do? He said, this is silly. I'm going back to my father. He came home, and what did God say? No, no, no. I've disowned you. No, no, no. You had your shot. The father says, no, come on back. I'm here for you. I let you have your way so you would see that it's not the best way. See, God doesn't withhold his forgiveness to children of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you received salvation in him, he's not withholding his forgiveness from you. He gives it. The best proof to this idea that God gives us grace despite our disobedience is today, Easter Sunday. Today is the day where we celebrate how God sent his son to the earth because we are lost in our sins. We have turned our backs on him. We've rejected his truth. We've suppressed that truth. We've gone our own way. We're all sheep without a shepherd, but God sent Jesus, the God-man, to be our shepherd. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved to satisfy God's wrath, and he rose from the grave on Easter Sunday, defeating sin and death so that whoever would place their faith in Christ would have their sins forgiven and receive eternal life in heaven with the God that created them. That is Easter. And that's why we're here. And unfortunately, I can't say the same for every church in America. You'll hear all kind of crazy messages today. Some will even say, all roads lead to heaven. No matter what you believe, happy Easter, that is false. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that same Jesus says that I'm the only way is the same Jesus who's not in the tomb. What you believe about Jesus changes everything. And that is Easter. And no matter if you've turned from him, no matter if you've rejected him, you can turn to him for the first time, and there's forgiveness and there's salvation, or you can come back, and there's forgiveness and there's salvation. God gives us grace despite our disobedience. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. If there's one in here today, Lord, that has never placed their faith in you, they're here today, they felt woke up this morning, or they went, they came with a family member, they felt like they should be here on Easter. 
Maybe they're not sure what they believe. Lord, uh, they're here for no accident. You've led them here today. In your providence, you've led them here. Lord, let them see that you're a good God, that you've died for their sins so they can have eternal life with you. You made a way to yourself when there was no way that their searching and their striving and their working is over. That they have faith in you. Lord, and if there are those that are here today that, that are believers that have gone wayward and you've allowed us to kind of go our own way, that we see in your grace you lead us back. Lord, and just like a shepherd who goes after the wayward sheep will break that sheep's legs and throw them over his back to take them back so the sheep won't run off again. You do the same thing with us sometimes, Lord. You break us to keep us. And that is your grace. So, Father, if there's broken people in here today because of their sin, know that that is your grace that you've given them, that they can come back to you and turn to you today, Lord. That there is forgiveness and peace and love in your arms. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us in Christ Jesus. And we, we leave here today celebrating Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, because of what you've done for us. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.